So this morning we are not in Romans. That's not where the Lord wants us this morning. Um, Would you pray with me? Again, Lord, we lift up Jesus' name. We ask, Lord, that you would bless all the fathers, all the men, and all the people. And you would open our ears, Lord. And lead me in this message because sometimes it's hard to know exactly what you're going to do. (laughs) Um, Show me moment by moment as I give this word. It may be your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So many years ago, uh, Native American youths uh, they would they would leave their tribe for a time being, and they would they'd go away. They'd go out into the wilderness, and they would go into a period of solitude. Uh, this journey into the wilderness was called a vision quest, and uh, it was the you know the purpose behind this was to be a man, was to j- jump that hurdle or move into manhood. Uh, it's also known as a rite of passage. We don't have a, many rites of passage in our culture. I don't know why, but we've done away with many of them. Um, we would do well to have a rite of passage uh, in, uh, in, in the church, I suppose, for men and women, and, and, and yet that's something that we struggle with. But nevertheless, uh, th- this particular story about a, a youth uh, is a story about a young man who went into the wilderness, into a beautiful valley. Uh, there was, uh, it was a virtually, you know, indescribable kind of uh, experience because when he went into the valley, as he was directed to go that direction, uh, he came to, uh, to a brook, clear running brook, fresh water. Uh, there were meadows uh, in various places. There were tall pine trees. <sighs> he could smell he could smell the fresh air and the and and the the pine trees gave off that that scent that I think we're all familiar with it just the green a green smelling scent the scent of life this kind of thing um, it was really a sight be, be, to behold uh, next to the brook he knelt down and he began to pray and at least in the way that he knew and uh, and that, you know, it was it was really he was searching out the this this the spirit's guidance, not necessarily the spirit that we talk about, the Holy Spirit, but he was trying. He was doing the best he could based upon what he knew, and and he waited for three days. And on the third day, he looked up, and surrounding the valley that he was in was were these peaks, and one in particular, very high. He just sensed that that's the one that he needed to go to. Uh, he needed to go to that peak. And uh, it was a peak that was covered with dazzling white snow. I'll test myself against the mountain, he said, because he was supposed to <clears throat> test himself. So he put on his buckskin shirt. He threw a blanket over his shoulders, and he set out for the peak. Well, he eventually reached the summit, and he gazed out on the rim of the world. He could see far and wide. Uh, it was, again, an inexpressible type of view. And he thought he could see forever. And, 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 and yet, and yet uh, as he was up there, he heard something in the brush. Uh, 
it was it was an odd sound, and and then he recognized that it was the sound of a rattlesnake. Uh, rattlesnake was for him, and was before him, and and this is not an ordinary rattlesnake because this is a rattlesnake that could talk. He could say words. Uh, I'm about to die. Croaked the snake, and it's too cold for me up here, and I'm freezing. There's there's no food, and I'm starving. Put me under your shirt where I'll be warm and, and, and take me down to the valley, please. Well, the youth knew better than that. No way. No, I'm not going to do that. I've been forewarned about your kind. I know what kind of uh, creature you are. You are a rattlesnake, and if I pick you up, you're going to bite me, and I'm going to die. Not, not so, whispered the, the snake. I, I'll treat you differently. I, if you do this for me, you'll be so special to me, and, and, and I won't harm you. After all, after all, you'll be my friend. Well, the youth thought about that for a little while, and he thought, no way. But then, you know, he began to break down. He began to break down, and, well, you know how it is when a snake is so persuasive? You tend to give in, right? Just like in the Garden of Eden, right? You tend to give in. And so, and so uh, well, maybe so. And he saw these special markings on the snake. He was not only persuasive, but he had a type of beauty. And, well, okay, so the youth, he just decided, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So he picked up the snake, and he put him underneath his shirt, and he carried him away. And, you know, it was a nice walk down the valley, Snake seemed to be his friend now. Everything was going well. And, and when he got down to the valley, he placed it gently on the grass. And immediately, the snake coiled and struck him. But you promised, said the youth. Ah, you knew what I was when you picked me up. And the snake slithered away. So all of us in this room right now should at least hope, or at least I should hope, should understand this, right? The snake, like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, although very appealing, is an image of sin. Sin may look good, but sin stings, and sin kills. It's very persuasive, but it kills. Uh, for those of you who have been in my Revelation classes last year, you remember that we came to Revelation chapter 9, and when the fifth angel blew his trumpet, we received an image of Satan and sin. Revelation 9 verse 1, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star, star fallen from heaven to earth. That star falling from heaven to earth is Satan. Makes it very clear in this passage. It's the fifth trumpet. This is Satan falling from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. It's a great description of sin uh, in, this, in this fifth trumpet. Uh, some have preached, some have proclaimed, some have taught that this is a, uh, that when the locusts are released, because that's what happens. I'm not going to go through all the verses. But when the locusts are released, that it's a, it's, that is a picture of, of helicopters, or something like that. There's kinds, all kinds of crazy ideas of what this could be. But the reality, John's trying to show us what sin is like. Look at the way that the locusts that Satan release are described. Look how they're described. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. 
Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like woman's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. And what we see here is the power of sin to bring us in. You think about what sin does for us. Some of you have been tempted. Have everyone been tempted here before? I think you all have. What does sin tell us that it's going to do for us? Well, it tells us trust in me and you'll be strong. Right? You follow me. You do what I tell you to do. You fall into this thing that you know everyone is doing. You're going to be okay. In fact, you're going to be a little bit stronger than others. You're going to be prepared to take life on. Prepared for battle. You're just like, you're going to be my special friend. And by the way, by the way, I'm going to make promises. I'm going to make really special promises to you. You're going to get rich if you do. If you really follow sin, you're going to get rich. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. And their faces were like human faces. They were beautiful human faces because guess what he's going to tell us? He's going to tell us that, that the hair of these locusts are like women's hair. Very beautiful. Very persuasive. Come on in. Take sin into your life. Their teeth are like lion's teeth. Again, another appeal to strength and be able to take people on. They had breastplates, like breastplates of iron. People can't penetrate you. You just go ahead and enter into sin, and you're going to be one of my special ones. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. Again, this appeal to strength and, of course, money and beauty. Sin is very attractive. But we're talking about a snake. A snake that when we carry that snake with us, down into the valley and we put the snake down we do what the snake tells us we get bit and we uh we die sin leads to death right verse 10 they have tails and sting that tails and stings scorpions and the power to hurt people for five months is in their tails in other words sin will hurt you now god gives grace here because of the fact that god says there's a limit on sin in this passage, five months. But the point is, is that people are tormented. They have the king over them. Uh, the, the king, they have a, as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and the Greek is Apollyon. So this is just this great image of sin that, I don't know if we call it great, but it's this image of sin that should frighten us. Now, you're probably wondering, why is the pastor talking about sin this morning? Um... It's because I'm talking to dads this morning. It's Father's Day. Dads, are you afraid of sin? Are you fearful of snakes? Are you fearful of sin that has come to destroy not only you, but also your children? It's, it's, it's Father's Day. I, You know, I'm not an expert on being a father. I'm just not. I'm not a, I mean, phew, just ask my kids, right? I mean, they'll probably tell you that I'm okay, you know, a little silly perhaps or whatever, but I'm not, I'm not always the best father. I have, uh, you know, I'm just not. I try. You'll have to ask them if, how, how well I do. They do love me, it seems, though. It seems that way. But I think I know something about fatherhood to be able to talk about fatherhood. And, and, and when we talk about fatherhood, we could talk about, a whole n- number of things. Um, that's a little bit. That's a little bit ahead. We talk about a number of things. We could talk about the greatness of fatherhood. 
that fatherhood is this incredible thing that God has. And, and, and God, is the, God is a father, right? And so fatherhood is a great thing to talk about. And we could talk about the greatness of fatherhood in this message. I'm not going to do that. Not directly. We could also talk about the gift of fatherhood, that, that being a father is a gift from God. Um, there are many in this congregation who are fathers and they're fathers not because really, really you didn't, you had something to do with it, but it's God's gift to you. Um, and let's be honest, sometimes talking about fatherhood is very difficult for people because people have experienced absent fathers, right? They, a lot of people don't have, didn't have fathers. My own mother didn't have a father in her life. Her father left the family when she was two years old um, and he died in Huntsville Prison in Texas. An absent father. Uh, and it, just, it really was very destructive for my mom. And it has a way of caring in generations, right? Some of my problems, this is going to be weird, and I can go into these, but some of my problems have to do with the fact that my grandfather, who I never knew, was, was died long before I was ever born, left that family. Because the problems that my mom had in terms of her sense of insecurity just played into the way that she raised me. And some of the things that I've tried so hard to achieve have been because of my mother's insecurity. It's amazing how fatherhood, you know, or a a destructive, let's just say this, a destructive or absent father can just affect generation after generation after generation. My only kids are being affected by the way that my grandfather, who I never knew, um, how he treated that family. Um, How do we understand fatherhood? Let me just say this. We understand it by trying to pursue our heavenly father. Because if you've been hurt, if your father's been absent or you've had a destructive father, I will just say this, that that it's your heavenly father that is the model of fatherhood. Um, that, needs to be, that needs to be heard. That needs to be understand, okay, but, or understood. It's not, but it's not, this is not what I'm going to be talking about today. I don't want to talk about this stuff. The greatness of fatherhood, the gift of fatherhood, these are all good topics. The uh, absent father, the abusive father, these are all good topics. But it's not what I'm going to talk about today. It's not really what I'm interested in this morning so much. Is I'm interested in the responsibility of fatherhood. The responsibility of fatherhood. Two things, two areas I think the Lord wants us to consider this morning. One is the necessity of prayer. Dads, are you a man of prayer? Do your kids know that you're a man of prayer. If you're not a man of prayer, your children are not going to know what prayer is. Probably. They'll go through their own crises. And perhaps with God's grace, as the church prays, as we pray for each other, the Lord will, show, will, will, will give grace to these youth, these young people in your lives, and show them what it means to be a person of prayer. But how do kids learn? They learn from the parents, right? They learn from the parents. Dads, how are you doing with prayer? Are you a man of prayer? Um, and there's another area here that I want to talk about this morning. 
not only the necessity of prayer, but the necessity of guidance. I've already been touching on it a little bit by just mentioning prayer, but the necessity of guidance. Okay, so let's, let's take a moment and look at what I think is an incredibly appealing uh, passage in the Old Testament about how a man should just absolutely be passionate about his kids and uh, his life of prayer. Um, and and it's, out of, it's out of Job. Out of Job. Remember Job? Job, the man whose life is destroyed. One of the ways in which the Bible shows us that Job was a good man is by showing us how much he uh, loved his kids and how much he feared for his kids. Th- there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He was a blessed man. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. I mean, this is a guy who really had it together. He had been greatly, greatly blessed, materially speaking. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each, of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. What a great picture, right? I mean, his, he, he's, he's blessed in terms of all these possessions. He's also blessed in terms of his kids loving each other. They had good relationships. That's what we can see from this. They had good relationships. They came, they ate and drank with each other. Very good times. You can just imagine Job sometimes coming to these events and just the joy in his heart to see his own kids being together and enjoying each other. I mean, parents, you know that you want your kids to enjoy being together. Uh, there's a reason why we get together at Christmas and other times of the year. There's a reason why we get our families together. We, dads want to see and moms want to see their kids love each other. Don't you want good relationships? I think Job was, ex- was experiencing this. And I think this is one of, one of the things that, that the, the writer here is trying to show us. Verse 5, And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. Then look at what he does. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. It's a type of prayer, isn't it? He would come before the Lord. And by the way, this book is probably written before, it could probably be the earliest book and probably before the whole uh, the, uh, Mosaic Covenant. But, but he had, had this idea in his head that, that if, he needed, if he offered burnt offerings to the Lord, that, that, that he would be, it's, it would be a prayer for him. And, and, and look what it says. It says, for Job said, it may be, it may be, that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. They get together. They enjoy their fellowship. Everything's going great in this family. I'm blessed materially. All these things are fantastic. But what drives Job more than anything else here is that he's afraid that his children have sinned and even cursed God in their hearts. Dads, are you like that? Do you care for your children that much? that you'd be willing to go early in the morning and fall on your face before God and say, God, I don't know what's going on with my kids, but I pray for them. I lift them up. I ask, Lord, that you would help them so that they wouldn't fall into sin. Why? Because sin will destroy them. 
Is that the kind of parent you are? Moms too? Do you love your children that much? Uh, uh, parents, do you know why you should be like this? Because we live in a tough world. And sin is all around us. I mean all around us. It may be that your children's best shot at living a life that is pleasing to the Lord is your commitment, your passion to God in prayer. There's a reason why last week we talked about, about, about Jesus coming in, cleansing the temple, and saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Your kids may depend upon that. Dads, how are you doing with your prayer life? Kids and your wife and the people you know maybe, maybe depending upon your prayers. Thus Job did continually. It wasn't a one-time thing. It was continual. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Well, I'm not only going to talk about, the, about prayer, the responsibility of prayer for parents, dad specifically, it's Father's Day, so I'll highlight that. I'm also going to talk about guidance. The necessity of guidance. You notice I put up there on the screen, no Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not giving you anything difficult to do, by the way. This morning, I'm not giving you anything difficult to understand. I'm just telling you that the Lord's calling you as parents. And we can go ahead and extend this to grandparents. Right? Definitely that. That God is calling us to be, a, a be, be the kind of people that make an impact upon our family to be people of prayer, to be people of guidance. Um, by the way, since so we talk about guidance here, um, I'll focus on dads. Dads, do you know why it's essential for you to know the Word of God? It's because your kids are depending upon you to know the Word of God. I cannot tell you the number of times in my life that people have come to me and asked questions that in my mind I'm thinking, well, God, would you help this person who should have learned this from their parents? It is so crucial for us as parents and grandparents to know the Word of God because honestly, kids are not really coming to me very often they're coming. They're going to look. They're looking for answers. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? Every youth pastor, by the way, is. I mean, it's great to have a youth pastor, but every youth pastor has a very limited impact on the, on kids. You know what kids need? They need parents who know the Word of God. This is why we should know our Bible because we have a responsibility before God, and God's going to call us to account on it. By the way. He's going to say, why didn't you know my word? 
Your kids depended upon you to know my word. Why didn't you know my word? Why didn't you make those classes? Why didn't you spend that time in the morning with Jesus Christ? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you become a person of the word of God? Well, because I'd like doing so many other things. Because it wasn't the top priority because it's all these other things. And it was always one crisis after another. And I don't know how much, I don't know what Jesus is going to say to that. Your kids need you to know the Word of God. Period. They just do. Because the most influential person in their lives is you. I'm not trying to bang on you this morning. I'm just saying this is reality, right? I mean, you think about those kids over at Kalama High School and Kalama Middle School and Kalama Elementary School. I'm telling you, friends, they're lost without a parent being able to teach them and show them the Word of God. They're not going to get it at the school. They can't even talk about it at the school. So where are they going to go? They're going to go to you, right? Absolutely essential. Absolutely crucial. I cannot, underst- I cannot highlight that too much. Now, where do we see wisdom? Because we're talking about guidance. Okay. Um, where do we see wisdom in, uh, in our proclamation or in, our, in the Bible? Here's where we see it. We see it in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is because what God wants all parents to have in their lives is the understanding of God. He wants them to have power of God and the wisdom of God. Power is another word we could say. We could substitute life in there. A little more specific than life, but the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this is what Paul says. He says, For Jews demand science and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So whatever I talk about from this point forward must be understood in terms of trying to understand and to know and to live in the person of Jesus Christ. Because it is Jesus Christ who's demonstrated the power of God in the cross, right? That he would die for us, which is a crazy idea. That he would die for, that's a crazy idea. That he would die for us. No human being could think that up, right? Like, like, like there's no way that human beings are going to go, well, this is the way that, 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 uh, uh, that love is going to be demonstrated. This is the way that God's nature is going to be demonstrated by getting up on a cross and being crucified. No human being would have ever gone there. Yet that is exactly the way God thinks. God's so humble. God d- demonstrates his love for us. We talk about the atonement, and that's way bigger than this message. But Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So everything I say at this point, from this point forward, is really about seeking Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that. We seek Jesus Christ. This is the point. Even, even when we study the Bible and we get a picture of the Bible, we, get, we, we mature in terms of our understanding of the Bible, it's all so that we could come to know Jesus more. Super important that we understand that. Everything points to Jesus Christ and the, pers- the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so... Guidance. Well, where's the best place in the Bible to begin to understand guidance, to get guidance? Right? And it's the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Dads, know the book of Proverbs. Know it. Live by it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Take a verse a day. Read a chapter, a chapter a day. You know, there's 31 chapters 
in the book of Proverbs, right? So if you read a, ch a chapter every day, you're gonna, during a month, you're going to cover it. But know the book of Proverbs. Uh, this, and so I want to talk a little bit about it today. I think, dads, you've got a responsibility here. There's a reason why it's there. So, uh, in fact, today being Dad's Day, I, uh, do we have any dads here? Okay. Um, I, I, I want you to know that this little book here, uh, written by Eugene Peterson, who um, went to be with Jesus not too long ago, but Eugene Peterson wrote the, uh, the message version of the Bible. You all familiar with that? A lot of uh, pastors use it actually to preach, and I totally get it because it's, it's really great. It's really great language. Very difficult to study from. It's not meant to be studied from, but it is meant to be read from and to enjoy. And so today I have this little book for all the dads in this place. Uh, there, When you leave, out, out in the back, there are these little books. And it's Peterson's message translation. So pick it up, please. We did that for you. So, because my hope is that you would focus upon the book of Proverbs, read the book of Proverbs this summer, at least this summer, right? If not all the time in your lives. Book of Proverbs, that's for you, okay? So read, read that. Oh, uh, Peterson, by the way. Oh, look, I, I should have given you the next slide. There's Eugene Peterson himself, the message of the Proverbs. Okay, so what are we going to do with this? Oh, let me tell you one more thing. If I was really going to go for it, if I was sitting in the pew like you are, and I was really going to go for it, and I said, well, you know what, let's take this summer, and, and let's, 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 let's take time in the book of Proverbs. Let's get this guidance thing down. Let's be a man of prayer, a parent of prayer. Let's, be a, uh, let's really go for this, to really pray for your kids, uh, and, and, and let's, 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 uh, let's really try to understand the Word of God and grow. And Let's take the summer to do this. I would say two things. One is, uh, pick up that Peterson's message translation. That's good. Um, but also, I would, uh, I'd buy this other book. See, I couldn't, couldn't swing buying that book because that book's like $13, $14. Okay? But you can buy it for yourself. Tremper Longman III is a really solid Bible scholar. He teaches at Westmont College in California. Great guy. Um, that little book right there, How to Read Proverbs, solid evangelical stuff, it will help you. Trust me. It's the best book I've ever read on just trying to get a handle on the book of Proverbs. Because when you read Proverbs, you can get lost, kind of like, well, what's, how's it all put together? And he will help you do that. And I could help you do that as well if I preached a long series on Proverbs, but right now I'm in Romans. So I can't preach in Proverbs and Romans at the same time. And so I'm just saying, hey, make this a summer project. Go, on, go to christianbook.com or go to Amazon or whatever and order that book, How to Read Proverbs. It'll cost you 14 bucks or whatever. And by the way, if the money's an issue and you really, want, you really want, want to make Proverbs your thing this summer, I'm not kidding you. I will make sure that I will, I will cover that. I will cover that, cover that, cover that for you. But I didn't go out and spend, you know, what would it be, like eight or $900 to have enough, enough of those books here. I didn't do that this morning. Um, but that is a fabulous, fabulous book. So, uh, so really pursue the book of Proverbs. And let's just talk about Proverbs for just a minute, and we'll make that the message. It's Dad's Day, so I don't want to keep you too long. Okay. But, but Proverbs has a purpose. And we see the purpose given in the very first verses. So I already gave you the first verse, um, Proverbs of Solomon, this kind of thing. But 
look at, look at, I want to go through fairly quickly verses 2 through 7. Okay, so look at verse 2 of chapter 1. It hits you right in the beginning. What is the purpose of this book? Well, the purpose of the book is this, to know wisdom. wisdom. And I gave you the Hebrew word, chokmah, which is the word for wisdom. To know wisdom and instruction, musar, to understand words of insight, banah. Okay, so right there we're getting an idea of what this is about. Now, these words are difficult because you probably think, well, what's the difference between wisdom and instruction and insight? Well, they're different, but they're similar. Number one, let's just try to keep it simple here. Wisdom is thinking like God. You really get down to it. He's the wise one, right? He's the one who said, well, the way in which my people are going to know that I love them is by sending my son to die on a cross. The way he thinks is entirely opposite the way we think, right? But we can think like him. Sometimes we get tired of, of, of Christians thinking that we'll never think like God. No, the whole point of the New Testament, well, not the whole point, but one of the points of the New Testament is that, yes, we actually can think like God. That's the point. Their minds should be transformed to think like God, that we have the mind of Christ, as Paul says, to know wisdom, to know the way God thinks. This is one of the reasons why we have the book of Proverbs. This is the purpose, to know wisdom, to know how to think like God. And instruction, Lusar, what is instruction? Instruction, dads, you know this stuff, right? Instruction essentially is correction and discipline. So when your kids mess up, what do you do? Like when my son Justin messes up, what do I do? I used to send him down the hall. You know, and I'd make him stay down the hall. Now I make him do, well, am I supposed to say this? Can I say it? I make him do push-ups? I mean, I do. I don't know what to do with the guy. I'm not going to do it. You know, I just make him do, hey, hey, oh, you didn't flush the toilet? You know, you owe me five push-ups. You know, I mean, it's called discipline, right? It's called discipline. There has to be some consequence. And so the book of Proverbs is this, so that we would know the way God thinks and that we would experience some form of correction. Because anyone here perfect? Anyone here done everything exactly right the way you're supposed to? I haven't. You know? And I need correction, and that's it. All right? And then to understand words of insight, the word banah, it's actually a plan of words there in the Hebrew. It's actually the word understand there is also banah too. Uh, so to understand words of understanding. Anyone here ever read the Bible and been confused by it? Yeah, right? So there's this gift, this gift that Book of Proverbs has given us with the help of God, right? The help of the Holy Spirit, especially as, as we are the church. There's this gift that God says, look, you vote, devote yourself to Jesus Christ, pursuing him, reading Proverbs in light of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to help you understand the Bible. Understanding, to understand words of understanding. It's great. It's great stuff. It's a great promise. So here's this thing. Why wouldn't we go for this? Why wouldn't we? Why would we, why would we, why would we ignore this stuff? Eh, I don't want to know these things. I just want to live my life by myself. Why wouldn't we want to go for this stuff? Then also look at verse 3. To receive instruction, there's that word musar again, correction, discipline, this kind of thing. Receive it, because not everybody's going to receive it. To receive musar in one dealing in, uh, in righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, this is very, very practical stuff. This is trying to figure out how to live. By the way, by the way, there's a sense in which wisdom is just knowing how to navigate life. 
Because we get hurt in life. We get really hurt. And God loves us so much. He wants to help us in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurt. Okay? We need to know how to live in the nitty-gritty, in the, in the difficult things of life. So why do we have Proverbs? Why should we make Proverbs a book that we pursue this summer so that we figure out how to live? This is the reason why we do this. There's more purpose here, and this is going to get this gets pretty good. This is going to get to my main point in a minute. Verse four: to give prudence to the simple. Just hang on to that word for a moment. Prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Kids, yes, I'm looking at you right now. Yes, you know I am. I'm looking at you. There's a promise here for you. You're welcome. <laughs> Got to love our kids, right? Got to love our kids. They're awesome, right? But there's a promise, right? You want to you want, you know these things? You want to have some discretion? You want to know how to, how to navigate life so you don't get hurt so much? There's a great promise here, okay? Give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So look at verse 6 for a moment. You know what that means? What I've already been telling you, really, it means that you're going to understand how to read something. You think about that for a moment. God wants you to understand what you're reading. Most of the proverbs that we heard, that we, that we come in contact with, and most of the words of the wise are on paper, maybe digital format now. But there's a promise that we would be people who would understand things and understand how to interpret things. And interpretation is very important. Now, I want you to notice two things up here. Okay? I've highlighted them, of course. One is simple. The other is wise. The simple and the wise. What's the difference between someone who is simple and someone who is wise? Well, look at verse 4. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. The implication here is that young people are basically a blank slate. Okay? Someone who is simple is someone who doesn't have a tremendous amount of experience and they're, they're, they're not wise and they're not foolish. They're just simply uneducated, untried, lack experience. The purpose of the book of Proverbs is to give prudence, you can just say wisdom, to the person who doesn't know yet. The person who doesn't know yet is not foolish or wise, just, just this blank slate kind of idea. However, notice what it says in verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. In other words, there are people who've been around, around a long time, they have some wisdom, but they should be pursuing more wisdom. Right, just hold on to that for a moment. As we go to verse seven. verse 7. Look at verse 7. Third category of people here. You have simple, you have wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here, here you have it. Three categories of people. One are the simple. Simply don't know yet. Haven't heard yet. Others are the wise who have heard and have taken it in and have become wiser through taking it in. And then you have fools. 
And how do we describe fools? Another place in Proverbs says the fool uh, says in, in his heart there is no God. But right here, what's the point? Fools are unteachable people. I know people. I've, I've been around some pretty smart people. Okay? I've been around some pretty educated people. I've been around some people with pretty high degrees. Some of them are fools because they will not be taught. In fact, we can know a lot of things about one area of life. Can I say medical science? But know almost nothing about the scriptures. But because I know so much about this one area over here, I become proud and I, I become a fool because I refuse to learn anything about wisdom. I can know so much about the law. I went to law schools, you know. I went to law school. I could know a lot of things about the law. I don't need to know anything about the Bible. I know all this stuff about the law. But one doesn't need to be educated to be a fool. One can be a fool and not be educated at all. But the essence of wisdom is always being teachable. I got a word for you. I don't really know that much. There's a lot of knowledge out there. <laughs> I don't know very much, right? And especially in reference to, in comparison to all the knowledge that's out there in the world, I know very, very, very little. But I pray that the Lord would keep my heart teachable, my mind teachable. The simple might be teachable, might not be teachable. The wise always is teachable, or that person's not wise. And the fool has resisted knowledge, has no fear of God. The fool is unteachable. So why do we have the book of Proverbs? Why should you spend your summer pursuing Jesus Christ and getting to know the book of Proverbs? Because you and I, all of us, need it throughout our lives. You know, we come to communion today and you know that the Holy Communion is a teachable event. The Lord has something that he wants to say to you. I don't know what it is, but he has something that he wants to say to you. He wants to teach you something about his grace, about his love, about his presence. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you have given us this gift in the book of Proverbs, which always points to the person of Jesus. May we be teachable people, and I pray that you would come upon this, this cup and upon, upon this bread, and that you would communicate that which we need to hear this morning to us. I know it's not the same for every person exactly, but I do know it's surrounded in love. So be upon this bread and be upon this, this cup. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.